0: Hey there, and welcome in to a special pre-draft midweek edition of the Salt City Hoops podcast. Of course, we've got you on Fridays, but today we have a special edition podcast, and it's actually the Redux version of the Brothers Clayton podcast, because I'm Dan Clayton, and my guest today for uh, this draft week special is my brother from my actual same mother, Ken Clayton. Ken, how are you doing?
1: Hey, I'm doing okay. Okay. And I'm sure Mom appreciates the shout-out, too. Yeah, for sure. So we thought,
0: uh, as draft night approaches quickly, all too quickly, that it would be a good chance to look at, uh, maybe use this lens of draft tiers to, as sort of a way of, of reminding ourselves what what we, um, as, as a jazz nation or a jazz fan community, um, have, what we're working with, and also maybe hold some players accountable. So, Ken, do you want to explain the, the concept for our podcast today?
1: Yeah. We uh, started out a couple of days ago when I was somewhere in the virtual world, Twitter or some other site, and I was uh, listening to somebody bemoan a little bit that with the injury to Joel Embiid, the the, the Jazz have taken a huge hit, that their prospects for getting a difference maker were so much worse than they had anticipated just a day before that news hit. And of course, I feel the same every year. Every year, whoever's dra- whoever's selected or, or, or projected about three picks before the Jazz, I think that they are the answer, and the guys available when the Jazz are on the, on the clock are just not going to measure up to them. I'm, I'm yeah. sure you felt the same too.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um. And, and, you know, what's funny is now there's talk that MB could still go three or four, yeah. uh, so, so the Jazz, you know, you net-net, know, they're in the same position. But I definitely hear you as far as it relates to, you know, the grass being greener a, a couple picks ahead of where the Jazz are at. And it feels like the Jazz have been in that position a lot, right? It, the Gordon Hayward draft was ostensibly an eight-star draft, and the Jazz yeah. sat at number nine, which I guess kind of leads into this idea of draft tiers and and, uh, you know, Chad Ford is a guy who believes a lot in, in evaluating draft position uh, according to tier.
1: Yeah, and uh, so, so that's where the thoughts took me at first. But, I mean, well, getting to how this affects this year, I think this is still a pretty rich draft. Losing one player doesn't drop the Jazz down a tier according to that listing that Chad Ford uh, uses his survey from the general managers. But what it made me think of first was We've got five guys on the Utah Jazz right now that have been selected in the lottery in the past four years. And I started, I I jotted down, I was at my desk at work, and I jotted down their names and I thought, I tried to remember or guess what tiers they were in at the time they were drafted. So if you start with the, the first one that was selected chronologically, of course the Jazz didn't select him. I started with Derek Favors. And I think you already know the answer to this question, but what... Tier was Derek Favors projected at in 2010.
0: So Chad Ford had him in tier two. Which just to just to capitulate real quickly here, uh, tier one is sort of the surefire All Star tier. Tier two means you're a potential All Star. Um, tier three means uh, a projected NBA starter with maybe some star potential. Tier four means you're probably a, a a role player. You maybe you could start for some teams. Tier five means you're definitely a role player. Tier six means you're basically filling out the back half of the of the second round. So basically, Derek Favors projected Per Chad Ford going into the two thousand and ten draft as a potential future All Star. Am I yeah, right?
1: Yeah. Tier two. And so where this led me next after I kind of looked over all five players was, and the first thing that it, you know we decided we talk about on this podcast is so Derek favors was a tier two in 2010 my question to you Um, I think I asked you this earlier, but you haven't answered me yet, is (laughs) where would you put him today? And for the purposes of this discussion, in my mind, I've added in the pluses and minuses that we have in the grading system. So is he still a a tier two? Is he a tier three? And you can throw a plus or minus on whatever you say. I, I have in my version of this discussion.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, and by the way, listeners, I forgot to add Ken's credentials, but to call him analytical would be a bit of an understatement. He's a numbers guy by trade and um, a spreadsheet guy by both trade and hobby. And yes, I did call spreadsheets one of your hobbies, Ken.
1: Why, why wouldn't so, you?
0: So this doesn't surprise me that there's, you know, a, a whole new complex gradation system. I would say that if, if, uh, if we're grading favors today, you know, I, I'd, I'd still say he has some potential to be an all-star. Uh but but maybe the likelihood there has waned a little bit since June two thousand ten. So I would maybe go I would I would probably say as of right now today he's a two minus three plus. I'm okay. not sure I'd demote him all the way to three is what I'm saying, saying cause, cause I think there's a scenario, you know, where the Jazz are a fifty five win team and he's a defensive player of the year candidate that he could make some all star teams. So let's so yeah, I'd say I'd say two minus three plus.
1: Okay, well you mentioned that we are brothers from the same mother and yet we don't always agree but we're, well, I think we're right on this time. I jotted it down as a two minus but I think a three plus is uh, pretty good. I think in my mind what what I see missing in favors is really kind of that uh, that drive, that attitude. Um, I mean he's certainly got the physical skills and you know I'm sure there are some of the, some of the uh, People who are more negative about the Utah Jazz's prior coach who might put some of this on the coach as well. Um, you, gave him,
0: you gave him Voldemort treatment there.
1: <laughs> the coach who shall not be named. No, I don't mind mentioning Ty Corbin's name at all. Um, I, great guy. I, you know, back in the early 90s, watching him play. I, you know, I met him a couple of times. Good guy. Um, his coaching stamp was a little, you know, less than remarkable. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. All right. Um, He had the deck stacked against him a little, too, though, but, you know, anyway, so beyond Corbin because that's a whole different podcast if we, and and it's kind of a dead, a moot point at this, at this point in time. So I would just say, yeah, to me, Favors is just missing a little of that. If he had a little more, um, oh, what's the word, just just a a little more desire, a little more of a motor, maybe, um, I think he's got the physical tools. And, and he, he could get to that, certainly on the defensive end, which, of course, we don't pick All-Stars based on defense. But I think he's got some offensive ability, too. maybe we'll start to see that this year with, with some new offensive sets and some new, some, you know, some new coaching and new ideas in the organization.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems that the uh, focus is going to be more pick-and-roll oriented. And I think that that's where favors can do well. Um, I say that with a little bit of a tone because I don't think he was a great finisher out of the pick-and-roll last season. Um, a lot of the time he didn't finish the roll is part of the problem. So, um, But for the for the first little while in his career, it kind of looked like that's a guy that if he caught the ball inside 10 feet with his momentum going towards the basket, he was scoring or he was going to the line. So, you know, you take that and then you combine sort of a new system and something that might be more suited to favor strengths. And I don't have a hard time at all seeing him up the scoring average, but I, I do think that if he's ever... Um, you know, in All Star contention, it will largely be because he's a, a defensive game changer. And I think that, for me, that start I started to notice his defensive leadership really at the end of the third season when Paul and Al were still in Utah. Um, so, so that's why I would say I would say favors for me hasn't moved a whole bunch off of that draft day, you know, projection of of you know really good starter to potential All Star in the NBA.
1: Okay, well, let's move on six picks later in the same draft to a guy who may have moved a little more off his original tier. So Gordon Hayward in 2010. um, There was a lot of excitement. There was, of course, Paul George is the name everybody looks at now and says, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I know uh, Henry was a big one who was picked a couple picks after Hayward. So there were some other wing-type players that were looked at there. Of course, the Jazz selected Hayward and he was, at the time, a tier four. So according to Ford and the GMT surveyed back four years ago, um, he was going to be um, whatever, basically a rotation player, maybe a starter on some teams, maybe uh, a, a top-tier rotation, a, a six, seven eight man off the bench on other teams. What, what would you, where would you put Gordon Hayward today if, if we redid that draft here?
0: Yeah, so I think most of the NBA is, is in agreement now that this is a guy who... Um, I, actually, I shouldn't say most of the NBA because even Jazz fans are pretty divided on Gordon Hayward, which is, I, which is, I think, a damn shame. I, I really think Hayward has done a lot more to deserve, uh, you know, better from his own fan base. But I, I have seen a lot more commentary, including today from someone, I'll have to look up who, who made this comment, Um I think people regard Hayward as the jazz's most likely chance today of making an all star team, so I think he's moving into that two category of uh of a potential all star he's certainly not in the one category of surefire all star and franchise player and uh you know honestly i I don't know if he'll ever scratch that level, but i would i'd pretty firmly put him in the in the two ish range two two minus
1: yeah well i mean he's absolutely in my mind. Proven that he probably should have been in tier three at the very least because yeah. he is he is an NBA starter. Ooh. It's hard to imagine a team in the league. I mean, unless he's unless he's on a team with LeBron and, and I don't know who uh, a LeBron and a maybe a Wade or a LeBron and a Kobe if LeBron defects and goes to LA or something crazy like that. But yeah. if he's you on know a team like that, he might be a bench player. But for the most part, he is an NBA starter and he is going to. Um, I mean, he he's at least talked about in an All Star conversation. That said, he obviously would like to see eighty-two games of that, or seventy games of that, or however many, because we do get there are there are definitely are roller coasters every season. Even even in his fourth season, we still saw the ups and downs um, in Gordon's play on the court.
0: Yeah, I actually have an, uh, a Salt City Hoops post coming about this. I've done a lot of the research, and um, I, I think once the draft subside, you know, the draft conversation subsides, I'll get to this, but I think that a lot of the issue with with Hayward and the lukewarm reaction of fans is that they're comparing Hayward to guys who have completely different roles than him Um, and you know you you can't you can't compare Hayward straight across to Chandler Parsons right now because Chandler Parsons uh, just has not done, has not been asked to do everything that Hayward has. you know, ditto for Clay Thompson, Ditto for Alec Burks, even Finals MVP Kawhi Leonard was a lot more of a system player than Gordon. So oh, yeah. you know, I think we'll continue to have that conversation as a as a fan base, certainly when restricted free agency hits next week. Uh but as for as for our assessment, I think we can agree. Hayward today would be seen um would be seen as a, a tier two probably. Just out of curiosity, do you have what Paul George was ranked?
1: Mm.
0: Uh, yeah, give me just a moment. And see. I, I hate putting you on the spot on a live podcast here, but, uh, you know, whatever.
1: I, the problem is I had it and then, uh, All right, it's, somehow it's, that closed on me, yeah. That's just, you know, a
0: conversation that still is, to use a Sloan term, stuck in the craw of many jazz fans, but we can, you know, we can have that conversation later. Yeah. I know we had All other right. other jazz guys you wanted to get to.
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we got three more, although I think these discussions might be slightly shorter. Um, Ennis Cantor picked up with the number three pick in 2011, the pick that the Jazz got from uh, New Jersey, one of the picks. Uh, He was rated at the time as a Tier 3, which is crazy because he was the third pick, but that was just a a draft that didn't have as much talent than this year does. Um, So he was pegged as an NBA starter but not a likely all-star. Your comments? <laughs>
0: um, so I think suddenly there are some real questions about whether Enes Cantor is an NBA starter for a title-contending team. Yeah. Um, Chad Ford had... Uh, excuse me. David Locke had Kevin Pelton on his podcast the other day um, and asked Kevin how different jazz guys are looking relative to the uh, the statistic models, the predictive models. And, you know, he was... He was saying that cantor is cantor had a disappointing year by any statistical measure, and now all of a sudden he's a guy that you're not sure if he's a you know starter material or if he's a guy that's best suited for that third big role to come in and score against the other team's um you know second tier bigs so I would say that uh I would say that for cantor i mean look maybe we give him the benefit of the doubt, and we say three minus but I think that there are some real soul-searching conversations happening right now in in Jazz HQ about whether Anna's cancer is is looking more like a four or four plus at this point.
1: Yeah, no, I would I would agree. I was my my initial thought was that sounds about right, three. I wouldn't put him any higher for sure. Um, but then I thought, well, even three has potential all star. You know, all-star potential, even though it's less likely. And I thought, I'm not sure he belongs quite in that discussion uh, after this past season. Um, a year ago, I might have, I might have thought so. But this last year, turning it over to the young guys, um, it's. I, I'm not sure how much to make of this statistic. But what were the Jazz when he started? Three and 25 or three and 24 or something like that. So it's, uh, and that's not all on him. The, the Jazz had other issues, but. Uh,
0: like the fact I mean, that they were 25 wins overall, right? <laughs> well, sure. So there was a pretty decent amount of suck, no matter who was on the floor starting, but yeah.
1: Yeah, but if you do the math and subtract out the 3 and 25, they weren't nearly as sucky when he wasn't starting. Yeah, but it's just it's not him starting. He was still playing a similar amount of minutes, whether he started or not. But certainly you have to wonder, uh, you know, how does he fit as an NBA starter because the team certainly was not successful in this one year when he was
0: yeah I, I mean I, I think I think you can make a case for NS Cantor as a three and maybe that's what Dennis Lindsay is doing this week on trade calls but uh, but I think I you know like I say I think that he's someone whose value is maybe being rewritten as we speak um, and and perhaps not favorably for him or for the jazz from an asset management standpoint
1: yeah. All right, so next up after NS Cantor, we have Alec Burks, who definitely had a, a decent season this year. Um, he was a bright spot. He was initially seen as a Tier 4, so again, a possible starter or top-tier rotation player. Um, what uh, what's, your, what's your take on Alec Burks after seeing him in person for half the season and on TV for uh, the rest of it after you moved to New York?
0: Well... Um so so again i'm gonna I'm gonna hide behind Kevin Pelton here a little bit because I'm gonna share something that might be controversial for some for some fans.
1: How um, big is Kevin Pelton and how effectively can you hide behind him?
0: well, we'll find out okay uh, again, you know Pelton's models say that um say that Burks is is potentially that third guard that comes off the bench and you know, handles a little bit as a scoring threat, he basically, his, his stat models say he's a Jamal Crawford type of player, and, and, and so if you view him that way, then, you know, suddenly you are talking about potential, potential starter or top-tier rotation player, so tier four sounds about right. There are some people I know that would argue um, Salt City Hoop's own Ben Dowsett is probably the biggest Burke's disciple I know, there are people who would argue that he does have all-star potential. And, hey, you know, he can light it up. And if he plays 36 minutes a game for for the Jazz or elsewhere and he has a 25% usage rate, he's probably going to score 20 in this league. Um, but but I still, you know, relative to... Yeah, I, I just still wonder with, with Pelton's uh, statistical models in mind, I, I still wonder if this is a guy... Who maybe was slotted correctly in that in that high four low three range?
1: Yeah, that's where I had him. Was I could I I wasn't quite sure if I could make him a, a three, but uh, four maybe seemed low given his his some of his abilities. I think yeah. probably the key for me is going to be um, and maybe this will happen and maybe this won't in the coming season. Um, Seeing him on the court full time against starters, he got a very limited run as a starter this past year. And you know, let's see what he does against a steady diet of those guys, because he might have been able to to look a little better than he really is going up against backups for a for a good chunk of his minutes. Um, He does have, I mean, he's probably the not probably, I think he is the best guy uh, the Jazz have for you know getting to the rack. you know, as far as you know, creating his own opportunity and getting in there, uh, that's that's great. But um, if you're counting on him to be your 20 point scorer, how good is your team? So
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and and again, so I agree with you. He's definitely the best guy on this team of creating his own looks. Um, although, again, if you look at the if you look at the caveat of how he's using his possessions versus Hayward in terms of um, you know, play classification and things like that, you're still seeing a guy who, um, who who, largely is playing off of others or creating for himself. You still don't see the picture of a guy who is sort of, um, you know, doing it all and creating for the team. So that's why I have a, I have a hard time with some fan sentiment that seems to be devaluing Hayward, at, you know, to Burke's benefit. I, I like them both a lot. Um, but I still think that for me, Burks is probably a guy, um, you know, stuck in that three to four range in terms of tiers.
1: So they got what they they got what they uh, should have expected according to right. the tier system.
0: Which you know, at twelve, that's probably about what you should draft in a in yeah. a normal draft. At the twelfth pick, you should probably get a guy who um, who is you know going to be one of your best rotation players.
1: All right, really quickly, we'll just touch on the guy with the smallest sample size, uh, Trey Burke, Tier 4 last year. Of course, he's only played, what, 60-some-odd games because of the injury early in the season and, and it being his rookie season. Um, in my mind, that's about where he sits is t- to me as a Tier 4. He did start this season, and he did have some, I mean, he had some of the heroics against Orlando, the game that many people wish he had not won for them <laughs> um, for draft. Uh, for draft purposes, but uh, uh, I mean, he did have some win and some fight in him, but uh, I'm not yet convinced that he's, you know, the guy who's going to, the point guard of the future. Uh, I don't know where they find that, if it's in this draft, if it's in free agency, if it's in a future draft, who knows. But. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah no, I, I mean, the thing is, there are so many things I really like about Trey. Um, but but a lot of them are the intangible type of things that you don't know um, how much those ever make it out onto the court, right? Um, he's, he's a leader. He wants to be a leader. I can tell you from the half season I spent covering the Jazz um, from up close and in the locker room that Trey was, you know, thoughtful. He doesn't give canned answers. He's, um, you know, he takes responsibility. So you love all those things about a guy, um, and, you know, I think that there are some scenarios. Again, I, if, if we're trying to imagine what Trey Burke's best-case scenario is, I, I think he could become a guy like a, um, like a Mike Conley or a George Hill-type player. Um, not sure he's a Chris Paul-type player. Not sure if he's a Darren Williams-type player. So, again, you're, you're talking about a guy who in his best-case scenario is three. And if instead we're talking about projecting, then I, I think that, yeah, I, for, for the moment... He probably has to. Uh, he probably has to sleep in the Tier Four house for a minute until until he's you know shown otherwise.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. So the next thing we talked about in this discussion. So there's the there's the well, they were the core four for a while, and then they got some people call them the core five with the addition of Burke last year. But that's how they kind of size up. Overall, they've kind of been true to the tiers. Uh, yeah. A little bit of adjustment on. Biggest adjustment on Hayward, um, maybe a little bit of a downward adjustment on Favors and Cantor, but for the most part, they're living where the GMs thought they would live, and 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 for at least as Ford surveyed them and and published it. So now the question is, we're in uh, 2014. Uh, the Jazz have the number five draft pick, which should put them according to the numbers. There are three Tier 1 guys. There hasn't been a Tier 1 guy for a couple of years. And then there are six Tier Two guys. So unless uh, the guys listed as Tier Two are not Tier Two. Um, or unless or the Jazz. jazz reach. <laughs> unless, yeah, unless the Jazz Reach, they're going to get a Tier Two guy. And let's I mean, think about that. They haven't had a Tier Two guy since they traded for Derek Favors. So this is a real opportunity for them, even if they lost a couple of uh, even even if the injury to Embiid looks like it hurts, and whether it ends up whether he drops below five or not, who knows at this Yeah, stage.
0: and again, I would say I you know I probably think of Hayward. I, I think Hayward has rewritten his ticket and is probably considered a two these days. But even still, you've got you know how however we finally ranked them. I think it was you know like. Two minus ish for favors two for Hayward um, three minus four plus for Cantor and four and four for the other guys maybe we're giving the, me- the benefit of the doubt to a four plus or whatever but if that's what you're looking at two two three four four then yeah there's a chance that whoever they draft this week is you know the, the best player on the Utah Jazz the day he walks in to the press conference on Friday
1: yeah. Could be or, or at least or within or within a little developmental time. Who knows? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which the other question that raises for me when we think about, um, you know, the trade rumors that suggest the Jazz might be going after one of those tier one players, which, for the record, I'm I'm supportive of philosophically because I think you have to have tier one players to compete for a title. Um, but there there are two sort of spins on this. One is. Okay, if we're saying favors is a tier two, two minus, whatever we're calling it, um, and we're saying pick five is definitely a tier two, and now we're saying that the Jazz are probably going to have to throw in something like Burks or an unprotected future pick. So now you're talking about giving up a two, a two, and a four, and something else to get to that tier one guy. And then the other thing I wonder Is um, is again just how much value our own guys have relative to this draft class? Because everybody, you know, people think that like if you just attach Alec Burks to the twenty third pick, you'll get up into the lottery. Well, I'm not that sure because being a tier four in this draft would put Alec Burks, if I'm not mistaken, it would put him somewhere in like the thirteen to mid twenties range in terms of draft position in this draft if, if he came in as a tier four. So I'm, I'd be curious to know how much trade value these guys really have relative to guys that are slotted at number five or at number seven or at number 12 or wherever.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, absolutely. I'm looking right now for the, again, I had these pages loaded and something has happened, but uh, 2014, um, either tier three or tier four was a huge tier, which really pushed, would would really push uh, Alec Burks' value if you you know try to try to even him out into the probably the late teens or or twenties maybe and so does the number twenty three and a guy who might go in the twenties does that really get you into the lottery probably not well I mean, so it, go ahead you know? <laughs> um, no I was just going to say so I mean the only benefit you have if you're the team trading for that package is at least you already know what Alec Burks can become there's not really a risk of um, you know him being a bust because we know that at the very least he can play in this league.
0: Yep. Yeah, for sure. So, so you're right. It's you know there's a three-man tier one, although certainly an asterisk next to Joel Embiid's name. There's a six-man tier two. So already we've got uh, we've got picks one through nine accounted for. There's three guys in tier three. So now we're at pick 13 where tier four starts. Okay. That's that's eight guys. So now you're in the 20s before you get to a gigantic tier five. That's a tier five, okay. where basically the 21st pick and the 40th pick are going to be, you know, not that not that different, except that some team in there is going to find a diamond in the rough. But again, if you're looking at Burks and can well, Burks, Burke, and possibly Cantor as tier four, then basically they have the value ostensibly to get you an Alfred Payton, or a Tyler Ennis. They don't even have the, the value to get you a Doug McDermott or a Nick Stauskas. No. So it's a little sobering when you, yeah. when you keep in mind what, uh, what the rumors are that are floating.
1: Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. You got uh, one, two, three, six guys in Tier 2 you just mentioned. Who do you like? In Tier 2? In Tier 2, let's just assume the Jazz can't put together a deal to grab a Tier 1 guy, unless potentially it's Embiid falling to 5. But uh, just, let's just assume that, A, they can't get up to 1 or 2, and B, even if Embiid's there, they're they're scared by the risk. Who do you which like it, in Tier 2?
0: Which it sounds like that's the case. It sounds like they're not touching Embiid, right yeah. or wrong. So um, Dante Axum is interesting because even in Ford's tier studies where he pulls the GMs to find out where to put these guys, Dante Exum kind of sat at that intersection of one and two with a healthy dose of tier one votes. So I think Dante Exum is the clear-cut favorite in that tier two group, and a guy that the Jazz would be um, would be pretty pleased if he fell to them. It's not likely unless no. you know unless Philly takes uh, Embiid and Orlando still decides to go the Vonleh or Smart direction. Uh, but I, but I think that's the guy that if he fell to the Jazz, they would definitely take them, take him. Excuse me. After that, I really don't know. For a while, I was really high on Noah Vonley. I think Aaron Gordon might be overtaking Vonley on my board. Um, same with Marcus Smart. Although it's hard to know, um, it, it's hard to know how much of this, you know. Oh, they're not interested in me. No, we're interested in him. He's not, inter- you know. I don't know what's going on there, and that's a little bit of a weird Abbott and Costello routine to be happening seven days, you know, in the last seven days before the draft. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, and then I'm not as high. First of all, Dario Saric. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think they're going to draft Saric because I don't think they're going to wait. You no. know, they they sold the ownership reportedly on a short rebuild, so I think Saric kind of drops to the bottom of this group. And for yeah. me, I, I've heard the rumors that the Jazz are high on Randall. Um, and hey, not that long ago, Randall was in the mix for the top pick. But I, I just I, I, I can't get that excited about Randall. And I think what it comes down to is that every time I, I watch Randall tape, I just come away saying, yeah, I've seen Paul Millsap do that move 100 times. Yep, I've seen Paul Millsap do that move 50 times. And I love Paul Millsap. But I don't think the Jazz went through the pain and suffering, and the, and the, we're gonna take our medicine like men to get you know a guy who, if everything pans out well, is Paul Millsap 2.0. And maybe yeah. that's oversimplification. I, I and I hate I hate comps for that reason because like there could be eight thousand different combinations of of how Julius Randall could turn off could turn out, and some of them won't even be in the zip code of Paul Millsap. But just when I watch him play, I, I see a lot of Paul there. Um, and and frankly, I mean, you know, Paul just isn't again, he's not a tier one guy. He's not taking a team on his shoulders to the
1: promised land. Nobody made the All Star team this year.
0: Sure, sure. So so you look at him as, you know, a tier two or tier three for sure. Um, and and look, I'm you know that I'm a guy that said all along that Paul should have been playing a bigger role in the Jazz offense and Al should have been playing a smaller one, so I'm I'm a Paul Millsap believer for sure, but if Paul Millsap was the guy that was going to take the Jazz to the top of the mountain, he would have taken the Jazz to the top of the mountain and he wouldn't be playing for the Atlanta Hawks right now. So, um, so I don't know. That's probably loosely my order is something like Exum and then I have a real hard time Gordon, Smart, Von Ley depending on the day, but that's probably my order today, and then Randall, and then Saric. How How about you? How do you have that tier two ranked? Uh,
1: somewhat similar. Dante Exum to me would uh, he, he's definitely my top guy in that tier. Um, but you know me, I'm always a sucker for a big point guard. Yeah. Uh, Gerald Sasser comes to mind. Oh, uh. yeah. <laughs> I don't know whose mind, but that, but that's a name. <laughs> somebody might remember him because um, I was looking, I was like, oh, he's 6'7", and he's got point guard skills. Get that guy. Uh, yeah. So Dante Exum, yeah, he's also got a couple of funny Footlocker ads out there. So you know, that's means absolutely nothing on the basketball court. Um, after that, I'm intrigued a bit by Smart only because he also has size at the point. I th- you know, could he play in the backcourt with? Trey Burke and and have a two-point system, maybe. But I just don't know, like you said, how much mutual interest there is between Smart and the Jazz. Is it the off-court stuff? Is it, you know, whatever? But I do know there are people out there who love Marcus Smart, who who think he's a huge talent. And if he's a huge talent, you know, you, you certainly have to look at him. Um, but I don't well, know, you, you also, the Jazz are also big on the cultural fit so. and,
0: and look, if he's a tier 2 and Trey Burke we're saying is still probably roughly a tier 4 at this point, then at a certain point you have to stop worrying about fit and you have to say, like, look, this guy would be an upgrade and it's yeah. not about will he fit with Trey, it, it becomes at some juncture, will Trey fit with him, I, I think um, and that's not going to be a popular thought either so where's Kevin Pelton but uh, but I think that's the reality of the situation. That was a joke, by um, the way, the Kevin Pelton yeah. thing. We need a laugh track on this yeah, podcast.
1: Exactly. Maybe a, a rim shot every once in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not so worried about uh, Marcus Smart's fit on the court. It's just, you know, the off-the-court stuff. That's what I think might be coming into play with the Jazz. And then, you know, if it's true that he wouldn't come – Work out for the Jazz, then you know I don't know what's up there either. You do have this complexity in this draft where the Celtics and Lakers are right after the Jazz, and whether it's true or not, there's always talk that some players would rather skip over um, even you know the the three, four, five range if they could go play for the Celtics or the Lakers.
0: Yeah, or um, or their agents might. But. Well, or their agents, yeah. All um, right, so you've got Exum and Smart.
1: Okay, so XM Smart, I just, you know, again, I'm, I'm not saying he's head and shoulders above them. I just wonder because I just know on the court people love him, and yet he's slipping anyway. He's even slipped off Orlando's radar, it seems like. So, yeah. you know, should he have? I don't know. Should he have slipped off the Jazz radar? I don't know. Um, Gordon Vonley, that's kind of the, that, to me, that's the question at this point. I'm also. I don't think Sarich is a guy who's going to go five, no matter who's picking at five. I think he's going to be in the ten to ten to twelve range, but where in fact that's probably exactly where he's going to be because ten and twelve are both teams picking that already had a lottery pick. Yeah. So that's a good opportunity to say, you know, at twelve, let's take a guy who should have been a top ten pick on talent, and, but we know he's we're taking him later because because he's not going to be here for a while. Um, so you probably I don't know. Aaron Gordon, the, the thing I keep hearing is he could have a Karolenko-type effect on the jazz, I and, and yet the problem he has is his poor shooting, and so I just don't know if I want to sign up for four more years of cringing when Aaron Gordon goes to shoot like I often did when Karolanko went to shoot. Um, Noah Vonley, uh, what I like, you know, he's big. Could he pair with, you know, he could he move into a three-man rotation with the bigs, four if he can't go bear. and he's got the big hands and, you know, maybe that's a good pick too. So I'm kind of the same as you. Gordon, Smart, and Vonley are almost interchangeable at this point. Yeah, Uh, A lot of guys on the internet, a lot of jazz fans on the internet loving uh, Aaron Gordon. Fewer in the Smart and Vonley camp, but that's just, you know, that's fans.
0: Like Jerry Sloan said, don't
1: listen to them or you'll be looking for a job.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I I think that that tier two, especially once you get past Dante XM, you're just in caveat city. So all yeah. these guys have things to get excited about, and and all these things, all these guys have glaring weaknesses, and that's why they're in tier two and not tier one. So, um, oh, sorry, you were, were you gonna say
1: something? I was just gonna say, and the one caveat is, I'm looking down below, and Chad Ford's explanation is, uh, remember that while uh, Kyrie Irving was a tier two, or Kyrie Irving was a tier two, uh, so was Derek Williams. So just because they're in tier two, that's where people think they're gonna land, doesn't mean they're gonna Be there in a year or two or five. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, All right, so we better wrap this up. Although, um, before we go, let's just, I want to hear you call your shot. Give me at least one bold prediction for this week, whether it's what you think the Jazz are going to do at 5, what you think the Jazz are going to do at 23, what you think Dennis Lindsay is going to have for lunch on Thursday. I want your bold prediction for Thursday.
1: Uh, How specific do you want? I I expect, given after last year, that there will be at least one trade this week, maybe more, because basically all the, every guy the Jazz landed with last year, they traded for him. Yep. Um, Lindsey seems to be a wheeler-dealer like we used to see in Portland, and we used to see in um, uh, Houston's kind of been a wheeler-dealer, at least in his first year. He did that. He went and got Burke, the guy he wanted. He went and got Gobert, the guy he wanted, and uh, who's the third? Oh, no, uh, Raul Nito. He went and got the guys he wanted and paid for them, and the Millers backed him up and gave him the, the flexibility to do that. I expect we'll see something similar. Does that mean trade up, trade down, trade players for picks? I don't know. I, I There's an infinite number of possibilities to try. I'm not going to be that bold. But uh, right. I expect to see a move. It's not just going to be a plain vanilla. Picking five, picking 23, picking 35, and now the fans can leave.
0: Yeah, um, well, damn it, because you kind of stole my bold <laughs> prediction. Um, although I'll take it a step further, because I, what I've been saying all along is that I think there will be at least two trades over the course of the next you know, draft plus early free agency. I think expect at least two trades. The, the thing I would add to that is I think at least one of those trades is going to involve one of those quote-unquote, core five guys. Um, the Jazz are not going to come back in October with Trey Burke, Alec Burks, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Enes Cantor, the fifth pick, the 23rd pick, the 35th pick, Raul Neto, uh, Rudy Gobert, Jeremy Evans. They're, they're just not going to do that. They're going to bring some veterans in, and that means that some of these young core pieces are going to be flipped for something else. So there you go. There's a couple of bold predictions from the Brothers Clayton. So we better wrap it up on this one. Uh, Remember over the next couple days to keep an eye on Salt City Hoops. We'll have plenty of draft coverage. I'll be covering the draft from Barclays Center, uh, both for Salt City Hoops and you can catch me on ESPN 700 this Thursday talking about it. And then make sure that you catch the next version of the weekly Salt City Hoops podcast this Friday hosted by Ben Dowsett when he will be wrapping up all of that crazy draft excitement that will have just happened. That'll be Friday, Friday, and you know where to find that because it's the same place that you found this one. So thanks for tuning in, and uh, here goes a crazy week in Jazzland. See ya.